Welcome to the High Tech Freedom Podcast. This is a podcast where we bring successful tech sales professionals, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs to share best practices, insights, and lessons learned with other tech sales professionals. As a sales professional, the more we learn, the more we earn. Once we earn it, how can we put those hard-earned commission dollars back to work to build additional income streams that will create the freedom we are all working to achieve? I'm your host, Chris Freeman. I'm a high-tech sales leader, real estate investor, and lifetime learner. All right, welcome to the High Tech Freedom Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Freeman. And for our next episode, I'm excited to have Jennifer Waddell, who is a seasoned sales professional in the medical device sector. Jennifer has sold and led at some of the most well-known brands in the space. Jennifer, welcome to the High Tech Freedom Podcast. Hi, Chris. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, likewise. Well, hey, I didn't really give your introduction. Uh, I didn't give you the, didn't do it justice. Why don't you tell the audience a little bit more about yourself and your uh, your sales career? Yeah, sure. Um, so I am an Oregonian. Uh, I've been born and raised in Oregon, and my whole sales career and sales management career has been based in Portland. I have uh, worked for two major companies in the last 25 years. I spent 14 years at Johnson & Johnson and 11 years at Abiumet. Um, I have uh, been responsible as a sales rep back in the 90s for the greater Portland area. Um, I was then promoted to a regional trainer where I was responsible for training new sales reps um, in the Western U.S. Um, then uh, I did a master's in leadership. And uh, right after I finished that, I was promoted uh, to my first sales management role at, where I led our elder care team in the Northwest for J&J for a number of years. Um, then I transitioned from the pharma sector to the med tech sector, was responsible for cortis cardiology, uh, all still within Johnson & Johnson, um, then left J&J in 2010 and went to a small med tech company called Abiomed. At the time, there were only 300 employees and about $80 million in sales. And over the next, gosh, 10 and a half years, uh, we grew that business to $850 million in sales and over 1,500 full-time employees and probably 300 part-time employees. Um, so I've uh, traveled. I've been on a plane every week for the last 20 years uh, <laughs> until recently um, and managed just a lot of great people. It's been yeah, really fun. Wow. That's some incredible growth. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so Jennifer, this may be going back to the memory banks a little bit, but uh, that trans that first transition from sales rep to sales manager, I imagine yeah. there's a lot of our listeners that aspire to make that next step. Yeah, if you can remember back to the J&J days, anything you learned along the way uh, you know, with that transition of uh, sure. what worked, what didn't? Yeah, for sure. Um, and I think you and I, Chris, had talked about this at one point. Oftentimes, the best sales rep gets promoted to be the manager, right? You have 10 people, whoever the top rep is gets promoted. And one of the learning curves that that individual has is trying not to make everybody be exactly like them. 
And you'll see that new managers will stub their toes in that area. It usually takes them a little while to sort of transcend that and start to realize it's not about making everybody a carbon copy of yourself, but it's about trying to pull out the best in each individual on the team. Now, I was fortunate enough that I had a pit stop between being a sales rep and a sales manager where I was the regional trainer. And I would encourage anyone to take that role if you have that role in your company. Um, It gives you exposure to the management styles of all of the managers. At the time, I think there were six managers that I support, six sales managers that I supported and about 60 sales reps and all the new hires came to me and I worked with existing reps and I worked with the managers about what they needed for the training for their people. And since such a big part of sales management is training and development of your people, being able to be in a role that gives you the opportunity to build that muscle, but also gives you the opportunity to see how the sales management job is done from a bunch of different people and say, hey, I want to be like that person. I mean, there was a sales manager who was a total ass. And I was like, I do not want to be that guy because... <laughs> His reps hate him. They don't follow anything he does. They nod their heads and then they go do whatever they want to do. But he thinks he's the man. And so I think there's a lot of value. Sometimes people um, don't necessarily appreciate those jobs that have a lot of responsibility, but no authority. But when you're transitioning from an individual contributor to a people leader, it's a absolutely fantastic role that can help the organization, but also really help develop you as a leader. I'm curious, when you took that um, pit stop to do the sales training, uh, was your intention to use that as a stepping ground into management or? Yes. Yeah, I absolutely wanted to be a leader. I, in fact, while I did that role, I did a master's in leadership. So, so I had the opportunity while I was a regional trainer to go get a master's on the evenings and weekends when I was doing that job. So yes, absolutely. Um, it was, but I don't think I, I saw it as a piss stop, but I don't think I appreciated truly how valuable it was to be able to be at the table with the leadership team And then to see the different ways that role is done. And then to see how many different ways the sales job is done because you work with so many different salespeople. Um, So it's just a tremendous opportunity. A lot of companies have that type of a position. And I would just encourage any sales rep to go into it. Yeah, that's fascinating because I know that um, just myself and even talking to other salespeople, there's, there's that maybe a perceived risk of leaving the sales role to go, to go do something else. And then, you know, how are you going to get back into it? Now, the reality is there's always sales openings. If you ever want to jump back in, probably not going to be a problem, but something you said that I really appreciate is, so number one, you, you knew what you wanted, right? You wanted to be a leader. And number two, you put in that time to learn. I think so many people, they want it, And maybe they feel they deserve it because they were the number one sales rep. But the reality is, hey, you better be prepared for when you get there, because once you're there, there's not a lot of room to just learn. Right. Yes, there's going to be training, but they still expect you to put up the numbers, produce and be able to have a plan on what you're going to do when you're not producing. And anything you can do to get ready for that in advance is just going to accelerate your success. And, you know, it was a little, uh, it was a little shocking to me because when I got the offer, it was for less money than I was making as a sales rep. And I was like, sales management. (laughs) (laughs) 
And I was like, wait, you're, I'm going to travel the entire Western United States. I'm going to be gone four nights a week. And you're going to pay me less money than when I was a sales rep. And I'm not going to have any authority. And are you kidding me? But at the time, my regional business director talked me into it. And truly within two years, I was then making 40% more than I was making as a sales rep. So sometimes you take a step sideways or you take a step financially back in order to move a couple of clicks forward. And that's, that's that, that kind of role. Yeah. And I think it's also, don't you feel it's important um, in now the benefit of hindsight, right? You've been doing this for a while is to ask, why do you really want it? Right. Do you just want it because you want that sales director title or is there some other reason, right? It's, you know, me personally, I really enjoy working with the team and coaching. And I oftentimes learn a ton from the sales reps, which then allows me to go coach the other reps and share. And, you know, they think that I'm bringing them some great idea. It wasn't my idea. I'm just great at recycling somebody else's really great idea. But, uh, yeah. you know, you need to do it for the right reason. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Well, so Jen, um, looking back at some of your roles, what's been your most, uh, what's been your favorite position or, or role over your career and why? Gosh, you know, it's, it, I would say I, I've been in multiple different levels of sales management. Um, I've been a division manager, a district manager, a regional director, a senior director, a zone general manager. I would say I, I love all of the people management part of my career. So the, the last 20 years has been fantastic um, for all of it. Now, keep in mind, I was never willing to move. So I've lived in Portland the whole time. And so I have spent more time in each role than perhaps peers who would have been willing to move. When you work for J&J, all pathways lead to New Jersey. When you work for an Abiumet, all pathways lead to Boston, ultimately. And so that is the balance that I've made for my life, my family, my immediate family, extended family. And so I have um, found ways to reinvent these roles and the job on a consistent basis. And I think any salesperson who's in a role for a long time or managing a certain book of business for a long time finds those same challenges, right? It's okay, my numbers only get get larger every year. How am I going to figure out how to adapt to this environment? Because the environment's always changing, right? Competitors are changing, customers are changing, people are changing. And so you have the opportunity to constantly evolve. And you have that as a sales rep. Um, I had some sales reps who had been sales reps for 25, 30 years, really in the same space, in the same geography, constantly reinventing what they do, how they do it, uh, bringing new value to their customers. So I would say I've enjoyed that the most the last 20 years. You did ask me a question though, about what was the hardest job without a doubt, the hardest job, um, the most challenging time of my whole career was when I moved sectors. So when I moved from selling pharmaceuticals where I'd been from 10, for 10 years to sell, selling and managing pharmaceuticals to managing medical device. Uh, J- Johnson Johnson has three different sectors. It's got pharma, it's got device, it's got consumer products. Although now I believe it's going to break into two different companies. So they're going to probably cleave off that whole uh, medical side. But switching, I-, I am the only, to my knowledge, manager who moved from being a manager in pharma to being a manager in device. And it was like speaking different languages 
It was like suddenly waking up one day and finding yourself in the Ukraine and you don't speak the language. That was the most challenging thing I ever did um, in my career. It was very, very, very hard. But ultimately, it was great because I actually ended up loving the device sector um, even more than I loved the pharma sector before. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, I remember at one point I switched in the tech sales role from selling, traditionally selling equipment. And there's a certain way of doing that, certain way of pricing it. And everybody kind of does it the same way to doing the same thing, but working for a software, pure software company. Uh-huh. And their whole licensing model is different. Their pricing is different. How they do. I didn't even know what an ELA contract was when I went over there. It's just, it was totally different. And so I was a little bit of a fish out of water. But I will say that uh, I was able to ask some really basic, dumb questions that, you know, everybody just kind of, there's a lot of assumptions that are made and, you know, people aren't asking questions anymore. So I got to take it with fresh eyes and actually kind of uncovered some things that really hadn't been talked about for a while in the process of just me figuring it out. So you right. know, it's hard, but, you know, you ultimately you can you can grow from it. Yeah. Cracking the Rubik's Cube. That's and that's right. fun. Ultimately, that's fun. Right. Yeah. It's just it takes, you know, a lot of grit. Hello, sales pros. I hope you are enjoying the High Tech Freedom Podcast. If you are interested in learning more about passively investing in multifamily real estate, you can download our educational ebook at hightechfreedom.com. While there, you can also sign up for our newsletter where we will provide insights on real estate investing as well as sales tips so that you can continue to crush it in your high tech sales role. Now, I often hear people say, eh, I'll get to that later or uh, I'll read that book later. Well, there's no time like the present to improve your knowledge. So I hope you take advantage of at least the newsletter. In the meantime, please reach out if I can help out in any way. Now let's get back to the show. So, wow, uh, two stints, 10 plus years at companies. I mean, that's pretty pretty rare uh, from what I've seen, especially in a sales role, because sometimes sales can feel like a what have you done for me lately mentality? And you even said it, right? I mean, it's, you've got to reinvent yourself. You know, what have you found either you personally or some of the really successful reps in your team? Uh, what have you, what have you seen as some of the ways to really thrive and add value to, to do what you've done for 10 years at one company? You know, what's the secret behind your success? So that is, there's a bit to unpack in that question. Um, let me right, you can start, take it anywhere you want. I will take it ever, anywhere. Um, what I will say is I'll, I've had um, some people who've worked for me for a very long time, crossing companies, um, within divisions. Um, it's, uh, I was, you know, in the cardiology medical device space, it's a pretty small world, right? Um, you get to know a lot of sort of similar uh, people. The things that I have seen those sales reps who have been number one rep of the year multiple times. Now, here's what I'll tell you. Not anyone can be number one rep. You've got to have the constellation of everything has got to sort of come together, right? Mm -hmm. But to do that year after year or multiple years in a row, you start to see that there's something really different and really special when that happens. And one of the things that I would say, and I I read one of my favorite books I read this year was Atomic Habits. I don't know if you read that, but 
Yeah. It's a great book, right? Yeah. Um, and it was, so to answer your question, you start to peel back, what are the habits of these people that win over and over again? And one of the things that you see is that their, for lack of a better word, their give a shit factor is enormous. Mm-hmm. Some people might call it drive. Some people might call it competitiveness, but I, I don't, you know, those those two words to me um, can actually become really destructive. Um, an individual, you know, especially if it's coming um, from a, a, a small ego sort of place, you can see highly competitive people who are really destructive to their teammates, to their team, to even their customers, right? You can see people start to do uh, really unethical things when they've got too much competitiveness within them because they'll do whatever it takes, right? Right. But somebody to me who's got a really high give-a-shit factor is somebody who really cares about doing the right thing for their customers, for their company, for themselves. And they constantly are figuring out, okay, here's the product that I have to sell. I've got a number for my company. I need to deliver this. I'm responsible to deliver this number to my company which of my customers are going to benefit the most from this? And how can I help that customer understand the value that is within my product? And they care to figure that out. And people who care to figure out how to position their product in the right way to a customer are constantly thinking about Those are the guys that are like driving around thinking to themselves like, okay, well, you know what? This customer is going to think that they don't need it because of X. You know, but I know that they need it because I know I believe in this product and I think this is going to be a good thing for them. And they're constantly working through in their minds um, objection handling. They're constantly thinking about is this person in the position of a buying decision, right? Because part of sales is identifying in your prospects who's ready to make a buy decision, right? Not just who has budget, but who is actively engaged in that information finding to be able to to drill down to make a decision so that you can actually close your deal. And really successful reps are constantly thinking about that the nuance related to the sales process vis-a-vis their product and the customer. And that's changing because you never sell the same set of steak knives for 10 years, right? right. <laughs> I mean, you're always ending up, you know, good companies are always coming out with new products frequently that you're reapproaching the same customer with. And if you have a huge give a shit factor, then your customer knows that your customer trusts you. And then when you bring a new product to your customer, they want to hear what you have to say. And so that's one of the, I mean, I see these great, these great sales reps when they get a new product, they'll go to a couple of customers that they have that they're not even sure if they're, they're the right target, but they'll just practice they'll test their it pitch. Out. They'll test it out with a customer. So they go to sales training, but then they come out and then they test it out with a customer and, you know, go through that process and kind of work it out. So they're constantly practicing. It's like an athlete that is constantly practicing their craft um, and if you look at it that way, as it's a craft and you care about it, over time, you will outperform the people who get lazy because there, there are sales reps who sit there and they go, oh, nobody's going to want this. Oh, they, the company priced this thing too high. Oh, you know, the competition is blah, 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 blah. And they don't even go up to bat. Mm-hmm. They don't even try. So they don't 
evolve and adapt. And that's because I think they're looking for a quick win or, you know, they're trying to, you know, uh, work smart, not hard. And there is no question you have to work hard. There's no, but that's what, but that type of working hard and working through the sales process and thinking about your customer and thinking about the product and thinking about how it's going to bring value, how you're going to position the value, how you're going to say that it's valuable in an elevator pitch. It doesn't take you forever to say that is working hard. But for people who are exceptional sales reps, it feels like play. Yeah. It doesn't feel like working hard. Yeah, yeah. No, some great, some great points there. And especially in the technology space, we are always, if you're working for a vendor, you're always coming out with something new, maybe a new product oh, that you, yeah. uh, that you launched, maybe an acquisition that you've done, maybe an OEM that you've kicked off to tuck into the product portfolio in some way. And I mean, over the years, I mean, I've been on lots of calls with VPs or somebody that's leading that initiative. It's like, why are we not selling more of this? And when you start to dig in, there's, you know, there's a rep or a few reps that do embrace it. And you know, you can go through all the training in the world, but what I've learned, and I was just having this conversation with one of my reps up in Canada, he had one of the first sales of a newer product that we launched. And then next thing you know, he's off with two or three more POCs already running. And because, yeah, we've done all the e-learning you could possibly do, but he went out, tried some stuff. He iterated a little bit. He um, had a successful POC. He got a win and now he visualizes it. And now he's tweaking his message and he's telling better stories to the next customer and the next customer. And now he's off and running. And yeah, uh, yeah, it's hard, but you, you know, it's comfortable, but you know, it's nice and warm and nothing grows where it's comfortable and nice and warm. You have to go out and (laughs) And really push yeah. it and, and try some different and, things. And those guys also, they bring the feedback back to the company that's valuable. Like, hey guys, I've been trying this and this is what, this is the feedback I'm getting from the customer. Maybe if we tweak this, we'll have you know a product that's going to bring more value to the customer. Um, or maybe we tweak our messaging here. Um, but people, you know, the, the conversely, the most ineffective sales reps are the ones that let their own heads get in front of them. They, they already shut down. They decide it's not going to work. They decide there isn't going to be value. They start getting, you know, mad at the company. They're not paying us enough to do that. Blah, blah, blah. They get in front of themselves and they, I don't think they realize how much they hurt themselves and it's mindset. It's a hundred percent mindset way before it's skill. Because skill gets developed if you have the right mindset to be thinking it through and talking it through and working it through. Yeah, totally agree. And and we were having this conversation, uh, had this conversation with somebody recently. And, you know, every company has their ups and downs. And, uh, you know, when I've worked for companies, maybe it was a down down quarter, you know, maybe we were struggling in the market because things were shifting. And, you know, the conversation that I've had over the years is, hey, if you think we're not going to be successful, guess what? You're 100% right. You've already decided your fate. Um, Or you can say, yeah, it's going to be hard, but I'm going to go figure it out and I'm going to go find some different ways. Maybe I need to go call on different types of customers right now. Um, I remember Mm -hmm. back during the, the, uh, I guess it would have been, you know, the last recession, a lot of companies in the IT space were tightening up. But there happened to be a segment that um, they just were in this life cycle where they'd been sitting on assets for 10 years and they needed to refresh it. Well, I was out crushing my number while everybody else was kind of pitching and moaning that things weren't working out. And I just had, I just did that for me. It was like, all right, well, hospitals aren't buying. These corporations aren't buying, but these little tiny telcos, they are buying. And I'm just going to focus on the tiny telcos for now. And I can always come back and um, engage with my accounts later. Something else you said I want to touch on real quick. You talked about how your reps 
will go back to those customers where they've built up trust and maybe try uh, a message or try um, you know their pitch for lack of a better word. And that's something that I've also seen with really great reps is they're constantly nurturing those relationships over time because it's, it's a long game. What, what yep. have you seen? What's been some of the, over the years, um, anything from a customer nurturing perspective that stands out to you? I just think being a good human, honestly, like if you're a good human, people like you and want to be around you um, and want to spend time with you. And if you're genuinely interested in your customers as people, not just as prospects, um, that's probably the most important thing. And you can't fake that. Like you really have to care, right? Mm -hmm. You really, you really have to be interested. Now that's not to say, I mean, it's, you know, to me, sales is like skiing. If you're not falling, you're not trying. And if you don't get kicked out of somewhere, sometime, you're not trying hard enough. So, uh, you know, you've got you to gotta be able to push, um, especially push to decisions, because sometimes decisions, the inertia with decisions and group decision making can just hang out there forever. And so you've got to get to a decision or you do not sell anything, right? Mm-hmm. It's the sales is the art of, you know, persuading people to change behavior that they wouldn't otherwise do if you weren't sitting in front of them. So you've got you've to push to a decision and it's okay if not everybody likes you, as long as you're authentic and a good person, the majority are going to respect you, right? Um, you don't have to be Mr. Charming or fake it. You've got to be a respectable, decent person who cares about their customers. Totally agree. So Jen, Jennifer, as we wrap up, um, you know, it's, uh, we're all working hard, you know, it's, I work in high tech, you, you work in medical device sales and, um, you know, we do it because, you know, we love it. Um, but at the end of the day, we're all working, you know, to eventually retire at some point. I'm curious if you don't mind me asking, you know, how do you take some of those harder commission dollars and reinvest it? Um, is there something, a strategy that, oh, sure. that's worked well for you? So Chris, you and I are alike in that, uh, we're all about financial freedom. Right. And I think um, you and I have been thinking that way for decades. So to me, the first um, thought around investment is um, minimizing your burn rate. Right. Your burn rate really matters. And as you make more money in your career, right, you start out in a junior sales rep job, you get a better sales rep job, you get even better in your manager. And then, you know, hopefully all the right things follow and you're making more money every single year. The first thing is you can't upscale your lifestyle every single year, right? Or else that extra money that you're making um, is not available to invest. And when you invest, then your money starts making money for you. And so I think the first rule of thumb is um, how to get to a base level lifestyle that is worthwhile for you. But um, it doesn't mean that you need a second house and a third house and the two golf memberships and a brand new car every three years. All of that, all that's going to do is jack up your ego and reduce your financial freedom. Um, So I think that that Morgan Housel book, The Psychology of Money, is a a great book um, for anybody who's thinking about financial freedom, grab that book and read it and it'll get your head squared away in the right, um, the right place. So then the next step is once you've got your burn rate under control or to a place where you are comfortable, you start to look at what the access is. Now, 
you should be in your 401k maxing that thing out every year, right? Without a doubt. The second then becomes, okay, the extra dollars that you have on top of that. There's, uh, for me, I can just tell you um, what I have done. Um, I bought real estate Mm -hmm. with extra dollars. You can leverage by real estate. And that has worked out very well for me over the years. Um, I've been a hold, buy and hold real estate person. Um, some I know that there's a lot of people that do 1031 exchanges and flip their real estate and do that. My brother's in a whole flipping real estate business, but I'm more of like a buy and hold because I don't like paying ordinary income taxes. It makes me crazy to pay Oregon income taxes federal income or ordinary income taxes makes me absolutely crazy. So I like looking at ways that I can generate passive income that is taxed at a lower rate. And so real estate income is one of those things that is taxed at a lower rate. So you can save up enough for your down payment, you can leverage it, your buyers or your tenants pay off your mortgage, and um, you know your excess rent that comes in, if, you know after depreciation, et cetera, is not taxed at your ordinary income rate. So that's one thing that I like that I have done. The other thing that I've done, I've done a lot of equity investing in the market, both uh, like with ETFs as well as with individual stocks. Now I have a fairly high risk tolerance from the stock perspective. And so that risk tolerance has um, really paid off for me in some individual stocks. Not everybody has that same risk tolerance. So one of the things that you need to do is you need to take a look at what your risk tolerance is before you know, investing in, in that way. You know, crypto in the last year has been very good uh, for me as well. Um, but in all those strategies, I'm a bit of a buy and hold. Um, to a certain extent, I sort of wish that I would have bought some more uh, dividend producing equities um, because same thing, those dividends are taxed at a lower tax rate. Recently, uh, though, my interest level in returning phone calls from tenants about broken toilets on Friday night um, has reduced. In fact, I said to my husband, you know, we were going skiing on a Saturday. I'm like, the stock market doesn't call you on Saturday with a broken toilet, (laughs) right? Because it just gets to a point, you know, earlier in your career, it's kind of fun to go, you know, be that person to fix those things. And later you're so now I'm more interested in passive real estate investing than I am in amassing active real estate investment, just because I'd rather have time to learn how to golf, which is my mm-hmm. new hobby, right? Um, yeah. Or spend time with my kids and, and those kinds of things. So um, I think diversification is, um, is, is, is good, um, but it's, you got to figure out how to take your excess and invest it, or you will not have financial freedom and you will be a slave to your monthly burn rate. This um, is true. Forever. This is true. It's, uh, and that's really what got me into real estate in the first place is uh, at some point early in my career, um, I got to know an older uh, tech sales rep and I'd go to the Bellevue office and he was up there still grinding it out. I'm looking at him going, I know he worked for great companies. And I know he's maxed out his 401k and his ESPP probably had some stock options back in the day. But he's still coming to the office every day working and scratching my head. And I finally figured out, I talked to him. And what I learned was, you know, he had raised his level of lifestyle over and over and over again to the point to where, um, yeah, he could retire, but his 401k is not going to sustain that annual cash burn that he had. No. And that's where it's like, you know, I want to build up that passive income through real estate. Now, what you know and what I know is, you need to consistently do that over time. 
right? And, it, and, you know, it's just start when you're young and it'll start to pile up and you'll start, it'll start to compound. And next thing you know, you'll start to look at that income while you're sitting there sleeping, while you're on the ski <laughs> slopes, golfing, <laughs> you're getting checks and it's yep. a beautiful thing. And, you know, I, I will say though, if you're going to jump into real estate, I highly recommend it. I've been doing it for 20 years, but get educated. And whether it's a, a meetup that you go to, um, a mentor that you, you uh, partner up with. I have a free ebook on my, on our website. You can go to hightechfreedom.com and download our ebook on passive investing. Um, but whatever you do, just get educated and uh, align with some like-minded people and uh, learn from them and it'll pay off. Uh, it'll pay off uh, big time down the road. I agree. Well, so Jennifer, as we look to wrap it up, uh, Anything you're doing around, uh, you know, giving back either with time or with some charitable organizations that you want to highlight? Yeah. So I've been working with a couple of organizations of late, um, AFS. Uh, AFS is the American Field Service. That is a group that sponsors kids to go abroad uh, as exchange students. Um, and I was an AFS exchange student uh, when I was in high school to Costa Rica. My husband was an AFS exchange student. Um, we're now AFS uh, exchange liaisons, um, and we're hoping to host our first exchange student in 2022. Oh, no so, kidding. That's um, awesome. Yeah. We, we really believe that like intercultural awareness, it just, just it fosters peace in this world without a doubt. And so, so that is something that's really kind of special for both of us, um, my husband and myself. Um, uh, an organization I got involved with this year with my daughter is called the National uh, Charity League. And that's a mother-daughter charitable organization that you get into when you're in, when girls are in the seventh grade. And um, they're through it all throughout high school. And every year, um, the mother and the daughter have a certain number of volunteer hours to contribute, and many of which can be done together. So, you know, with COVID, it's been a little bit trickier. So whereas, you know, we might have gone um, and done a project at, uh, you know, Blanche House and actually served meals. Now we'll like make meals and bring it down for them to deliver the meals. Um, but that's uh, that has been really fun. There's leadership opportunities for the girls. Um, so I think that's a really cool organization as well. Yeah, I've heard of it. Uh, it sounds like a great, uh, a great program. And we can put, uh, I'll put links to both of those organizations in the show yeah. notes. So if somebody wants to check it out, donate or get yeah. involved, uh, yeah. they can do that. They're both, they're great organizations. Well, before we wrap up, is there anything else that you would like to share? No, not that I can think of. Chris, it's been a pleasure chatting with you today. Yeah, I really, I really appreciate your time. And if, uh, if a listener wants to reach out or get connected with you, how can they do that? Uh, sure. My email is Jennifer A. Waddell at gmail.com. All right. Well, Jennifer, thank you for the time today. It was really yeah. nice to catch up and uh, enjoy your trip. Thanks so much. See ya. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks again for joining us today. To get more sales and real estate tips, you can subscribe to our newsletter at hightechfreedom.com. You can also join our private Facebook and LinkedIn group that is exclusively for sales professionals. If you found a nugget of good information in the podcast, please subscribe, give us a positive rating and write a review. If there is a topic that you would like us to cover in the future, please send us a note through our website at hightechfreedom.com. Until next week, make this your best week ever.